Welcome back to all of you. It's the second part of my interview with Emma Campbell. Let's get clinical. Last time we wrapped up the podcast talking about the importance of early intervention in youth with regards to mental health issues and neuropsychological studies on this notion. We now continue from this subject and go on to neuroplasticity. So here we are once again with Miss Emma Campbell. So, I mean, I, I guess since we're talking about this, we can go into neuroplasticity now. Can, can you uh, describe what that concept is? Because I have my own, I mean, I have my yeah. experience, if I yeah. want to say quote unquote experience with neuroplasticity, because it's something that really helped me get past my CRPS um, mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, having to change my, my brain to rewire my brain to be able to walk again and to perform mm-hmm. very basic functions that I had lost because of my neurological disorder. But what, in a nutshell, um, what could you say about uh, neuroplasticity? In and, a nutshell. Yeah. And when I, when I think of that, I think, oh, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, which I don't believe. But anyways, go ahead. In a nutshell, brain plasticity, it's brain wiring, of course. So in the brain, there's gray and white matter. Gray okay. is like the core of the neurons and the white matter is the axons uh, linking those neurons together. Okay. And so... Of course, there's like basic wiring. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then there's also a big part of it that is experience dependent. Okay. So depending on, depending on your, your, and experiences, I mean, like what we're going through right now is an experience, like everything, your, your different learnings, everything you're going through is an experience and repeating an experience long enough can, uh, like often enough, I mean, like when you were trying to walk again Mm -hmm. with your CRPS, can actually get the brain to create we call that neural genesis to create neural genesis exactly okay. to create new connections okay and that's what we observed after a while we can't right now we don't have the technology to go like oh after her third experience a new neuron yeah, <laughs> like we can't yeah, see that yeah, at all but what yeah. we notice from science is that uh, okay okay wait so people that um people that play guitar the gray air the gray matter of the brain related to the sensory uh the sensory neurons of the fingertips okay is bigger than okay. in people that don't play guitar right right because the feeling on their fingers is super important for, and I mean like play guitar, not not like a once by a summer around the fire <laughs> yeah. camp. Or like me attempting then, you know, I just kind of make everyone's ears break. Exactly. <laughs> so like so so like experts. We notice that the gray area of their fingers is bigger um, than significantly bigger than people that don't play guitar. Or in my case, auditory deprivation mm-hmm. or deafness. Yeah. <laughs> people that uh that can't hear there's differences in the gray matter so the auditory treat the the auditory area which is like right behind your ears mm-hmm. um the gray matter is is uh is often found to be diminished mm-hmm. and the white matter so the wiring is different because mm-hmm. then sometimes we expect uh we expect so what actually happens, let me back backtrack a bit. What actually happens with the the gray matter of the auditory area is the brain is a pretty smart thing. And 
it won't have an area do nothing. Like, okay. It won't have an area do nothing. So we notice in functional MRI, so functional imaging, we notice that people, deaf people that see things, it activates the auditory areas of the brain additionally to the occipital areas. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, should I, I say that again? I didn't yeah. catch that. So if they so, see, I'll, I'll let you read. Yeah, let me try to find the right words. So if what we see in deaf studies is that if they see something, it activates the visual area of the brain for sure. Okay. But it also activates the auditory areas of the brain. Okay. It oh, doesn't do okay. that for people that hear. Okay, I see. Because even though they can't hear, the brain still is trying to get those that going. Because you, as you were saying, the brain it won't to let. Use, yeah, it yeah, won't everything. let a big area just just go just. Mm. just yeah. So it actually, so what we notice is that okay, the brain is uh, the brain is allowing a bigger a bigger area bigger areas for the treatment of visual stimuli. And what we see is that well, deaf people have better visual uh, peripheral vision or better okay. yeah, visual okay. attention. So yeah. because because that's one of the senses they use the most, the most yeah. to understand life, mm -hmm. um, a lot more of the brain is allotted to the treatment of visual stimulation, just like a lot more of the brain was allotted to fingers for, guitar for guitarists mm -hmm. because they use it a lot. Mm -hmm. So it's really experience dependent. They use vision so they get a bigger part of the brain to treat vision or guitarists they use their fingers so they get a bigger part of the brains to use to deal with everything that has to do with sensory processing right. on the fingers right right so it's really so yeah definitely so when when i was talking about uh, early intervention for kids it's really a matter of creating those experiences where the brain can create some sort of 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 wires or some sort of connections that can help eventually that can help the kid understand life a bit better okay okay so that's and and you know for me i think a few years back I, that wouldn't have spoken to me so much but uh i understand now that we always and, and you can correct me if i'm wrong but the way i see it is that we always have the power to kind of change our brains so it's like somebody could be 80 and they can still have the power to do so mm -hmm. just as much as if they were 20 for sure it's, it's maybe different capacities and, and everything um and just even the visualizing of it so like in my case with my crps at first i i didn't start by walking i literally spent like a year or or, mm -hmm. or more just closing my eyes for minutes at a time uh, every morning and every night and just imagining myself walking. I literally would just see myself walking. And I know that it's something that athletes, they say, like, use a lot, like, you know, for, for, for competition, that they visualize themselves jumping fast, uh, higher or running faster or whatever uh, it is. And so for me, it was it was just that first step of actually seeing myself walk again, of mm -hmm. seeing myself go upstairs again, mm -hmm. of seeing myself like maybe jogging again or whatever, like moving normally again. That's what started it all to bring my brain back to saying, hey, you know, this is okay and this doesn't have to hurt or blah, blah, right. blah, blah, you know? And I was, I don't know if you know Joe Dispenza or if you know if our listeners have ever heard of Joe Dispenza, but he also talks a lot about 
neuroplasticity and how we have the, the power you know to change our, our, our lives and our minds and our, our environment there was a study that he was talking about where um, they took a, a group of people who were you know flexing a certain muscle and they gave them like an exercise and just said you know like okay like for one month just do this exercise to develop a forearm muscle I mm -hmm. think this is it was a forearm muscle and then they gave another group uh, the same task but just visualizing it and the, the, the group that actually did the exercise for a month increased their muscle capacity by something like 50%, whereas the group who just visualized it, obviously they didn't increase as much as 50, but they actually were able to increase muscle for of 20, 25% just by actually mindfully like playing it over and over in their brains. Does that like speak a little bit also to neuroplasticity or is that something that's... Uh, I think so, yeah. So like, I don't like, I could, I could look it up and, and find you the references, but I, it made me think of a couple of studies that happened again in functional imaging where they noticed that thinking of an action mm -hmm. um, kind of activates, maybe not at the same level, but activates the same network, neural right. network, than actually doing the thing. Oh, wow. So in our brain, we have the motor cortex, which allows us to move, but mm -hmm. we also have the premotor cortex that mm -hmm. is also implicated in planning our movements. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I think probably the visualization plays a lot in there. I'm same. not an expert. Yes. That's why I have to say I'm not an expert, but I know there are studies that notice that the visualization of different actions, um, mental visualiz visualization of different actions uh, led to the activation of the same network, neural network, than the actual action. Okay. So that's actually, yeah. So I think, yeah, definitely, if you do it over and over and over again, yeah. then you might notice some neuroplasticity. As I said, there's no there's not a technology that can say okay she did it 30 times here's a new neuron right yeah we can't we don't know that yeah just yet but that's the idea yeah okay interesting is it safe to say then that many of the mental illnesses that are out there from eating disorders to bipolar disorder can indeed have a biological and not just a social aspect for example contributing to the illness and like actually does every mental disorder always have some kind of biological factor contributing to it great question um not all mental illnesses have been studied to the point where we understand clearly the biological factors behind them okay um like anxiety and depression are the most studied because they um they're the most prevalent yeah. in our population and they're they also go hand in hand All a lot day, of times yeah. as well right we rarely have well yeah i guess you could have a only depressed person i just never met one yet okay, <laughs> okay. but yeah so there are what we know there are there are many biological factors that can that can definitely lead to to different um to different well not lead but i would say contribute so if we could just start with like with genes, mm -hmm. that's I, I think that would be the base right, uh, right. to start with genes. What we know, like we haven't identified the gene that if you have it, you have a mental illness. Like yeah, it's not, yeah. it's not that clear yet. But what we know is that if you have someone with a mental illness, the prevalence of mental illnesses in that person's family is a lot higher than in the general population. Yeah. And we can actually come to like certain certain percentages of okay, like 
the role of genetics explains like i don't know like 13 or even 60 percent of the variability in that in the prevalence of this disorder okay and that's epidemiology yeah so it's really um it's or or twin studies or or just like family studies or just asking like asking someone you meet some like in my in my work now at the hospital it's we're always going with okay like what about your family are there any depression suicide right bipolar disease schizophrenia is there anything going on in your family and it can really just like help us understand a bit better this person like of course some people will have of course some people some people can have like develop depression without any members of their family that they know of ever go through it but it's Mm -hmm. just i would say i had this image i had this picture of Seeing it like, um, I don't know, like seeing it like a glass, let's say, full of... So when the glass spills, mm-hmm. it means the person develops a mental illness. Let's just okay. stay with that picture. So okay. when the glass spills, it means the person develops depression or anxiety or schizophrenia. Right. So when you have the genetics of... When you have like people in your family that suffered from mental mental illnesses, that glass is starts just a bit fill, like it's already a bit more full. A right? bit more full, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then you can have drug use <laughs> that can fill it up a little bit yeah. more, and then you can just have life experiences, yeah, that can fill it up to the point where it spills. Yeah. Okay. Or but so you can have people that have a lot of people in their family that had mental illnesses so the glass was already a bit full but kind of nothing else happened okay and so they or or some people can have taller glasses like it's really it depends you know but so let's say that the genes if you if if there are if if there are genes in your family like if you share genes with people that have mental illnesses Mm -hmm. your glass will start just a bit more full so then again if you're going to develop a mental illness, it depends on how tall your glass is or what else happens in your life. But yeah. the gene factor fills fills the bottom up at right. least. And and also intergenerational intergenerational trauma as well, right? I mean, yeah. like it's kind of passed on. Like I know, like in in my family, um, there's just a lot of anxiety, and like my mom grew up in conditions that were, you know, she had a very very difficult life, and she had um, a lot of anxiety. You know with with reason um because she was you know in a country that was at war and all that stuff and i and sometimes you just see it in their behavior that everything is always like so be careful oh my god and you're just like oh my god i just can't stand this anxiety anymore it's like there's nothing wrong like i'm walking in the snow yes there's a snowstorm on my side mom like i've been living here for the like 37 years i'll be okay like it's okay you know so it's sometimes the yeah. It's just like kind of passed on, like in that in that way as well, right? That's, so. And that's where it's interesting. Well, to well, it's not always possible, but to actually see the influence of the the social uh, nurture versus nature thing. Yeah. So, in adoption studies, for example, if a person like a, if a person if a mother, let's say, passed on anxiety mm-hmm. in a very simplistic way, mm-hmm. well, if that if the children lived in a very like calm and 
nurturing environment, what are the odds that they will develop right. anxiety? So that's yeah. a bit how we can figure out those the the genetic portion of mental illness. And it's like you said, some people have taller glasses, smaller glasses, like the exactly. same experience. Like I know I was bullied for my weight when I was younger and my sister was as well, but she didn't develop an eating disorder. I did. It's like you were saying, I think it's so case by case. That's why it's so complex. Human relationships are complex. Psychology is so complex. You mm -hmm. know, it just goes to show that there's just so many factors that definitely that like a lot, a lot of other biological factors are in play. Like, uh, I don't know, there's even like, it's a very popular uh, axis of research right now, but gut research, like digestive research, okay, okay. is being more and more put in relation to anxiety and depression, right? because right. Uh, a, a neurotransmitter that is very, well, very... Oh, oh that's, that's safe. <laughs> She's still here. <laughs> so, a very, a she dog wanted bark. to be part of the podcast. A dog barked if you guys didn't yeah. catch it. Yeah. So a serotonin, which is a neurotransmitter, very um, important in neuro in depression and anxiety. A lot of it, a lot of your body's serotonin is actually produced in your guts mm -hmm. rather than in your brain. So we know more. We know more and more about this now, and we notice that people there's people that have uh, uh, irritable bowel syndrome. Mm -hmm. They have bigger chances of of developing anxiety or depression. So mm -hmm. that's just like okay. So your gut syndrome. <laughs> Oh, Betsy. You definitely heard that one. We're doing a podcast. Please, <laughs> we'll edit that part. So let's say like the gut the gut syndrome will puts a bit more water in your glass mm -hmm. in a sense. Mm -hmm. So there's really, really different different uh, factors that can, biological factors that can influence whether or not someone will develop uh, a mental illness. But I think what is also important is to understand that once the mental illness is there, mm -hmm. there are brain changes. Okay. Like the brain changes yeah. once the mental illness is there. Like in schizophrenia, by we have uh, we have um, an imbalance in dopamine, like or mm -hmm. or in depression, it's serotonin. So mm -hmm. there's what's well, always a mix. Of, it's always yeah. multifactorial, but it's just like the, the the major ones. So it's really just to understand that when like the bio, some biological factors can affect the the chance you have of developing a mental illness mm -hmm. but once it's there mm -hmm. if it is the brain does change it, as i said for depression it changes to the point where we we see it in in, in cognitive tasks or in day-to-day -day. we see people that are more slow that are less attentive that can yeah. can't remember information just as well so it's really um so it's really important for me to, for people to understand that that mental illness does come with brain changes. We have brain areas that are hypoactivated mm -hmm. and brain areas that are hyperactivated. Mm -hmm. So it's really just not a like if I can talk personally, like I suffered from depression a couple of years back, and you know, like I I I would hear those things. It's just like oh try like try walking in nature. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, why don't you just get up and take a shower? Like, it's so easy, you know? Or and I want just... people to understand that, like, I was in therapy every week. I was still going to work, still going to school. I was mm -hmm. walking in nature, but I was crying doing all of these yeah. things. I would cry at work, cry at school, cry in the forest. Like, <laughs> cry in the forest. Oh. I would just, like... I, so I did everything I could. I would, I would still... I do yoga, I do climbing, yeah. I... I I do everything that you're supposed to do. Yeah. 
to get over it yeah and just get over it get over it and it was hard for me to understand that at some point it wasn't enough Mm. like at some point there's there's a point where i needed to i needed to understand that was there was something in my brain going on that was Mm -hmm. just not enabling me to be happy while walking in the forest to notice the beauty surrounding me or, or to to feel lucky that I'm able to to attend a university and yeah. do my studies and follow my passion. Right. It was just like so there's something wrong in a way in my brain not enabling me to 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 be in touch with the beauty surrounding me or if I saw if I actually noticed beauty I would cry because I would cry. That's just my that was just my reaction yeah. at yeah. all times. And so to to get pharmaceutical help to me was really was really a, a big deal because it felt like it was kind of the easy way or like a, oh yeah yeah like That's i'm not putting too, yeah. in the effort yeah. i'm relying on medicine yeah <laughs> and it's just like of course like therapy can definitely can definitely definitely help its experiences it's rewiring of the brain like cognitive behavioral therapy you address the cognition the cognition the thoughts mm-hmm. all right so you're thinking you suck how about we change those thoughts? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like you do not suck. Yeah. You actually, you're awesome. Yeah. So it's really, a, well, I'm really, really simplifying it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that is not how. Yeah, let's just I don't don't like not everyone just go out there and just put like you know on on a board. You're awesome. This is gonna fix all my problems. But, but I think yeah. that people should definitely tell each other that they're awesome. They but should. Yeah. It's just a way of, of therapy can definitely help in a way like rewire. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the the thoughts patterns yeah changing your thoughts is changing but it's changing your yeah thoughts. to me it was really just so so I had to take uh, what was it called it's Silexa the brand name but anyways so it's it's what it does it's when you're a brain neuron will secrete serotonin okay and then the other neuron will catch it and then there's like a whole yeah. network but what happens what we notice in depression is that maybe there's not enough serotonin and uh, the way the brain is built is that if if there's not much serotonin then the other neuron doesn't catch it as well like the message basically and it's just like it's just like a vicious circle of less receptors and yeah blah 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 so what they do is they they give you meds to inhibit the recapture of the serotonin because if serotonin is left between those two neurons the first neuron will catch it back Okay. No waste. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, then, but if it catches it back, the the next neuron can't eventually get it. Receive it. Okay. So what they do is they inhibit the recapture. So the serotonin is left in the interneural space longer, eventually for the second neuron to catch it, and then the second neuron will eventually say, "Oh, there's more serotonin." There's more serotonin. I need more receptors. Oh, okay, so then the neuron builds more receptors, mm-hmm. and eventually, it, it like it it catches it more, and then the vicious circle is kind of broken because the second neuron wants more serotonin, so the first neuron produces more, yeah, and eventually so it, it can get back on track. Yeah, there's like an uptake again. Yeah. Right? So to me, yeah. so to me, the meds were kind of a way to break that biological vicious yeah. circle that was going on in my brain. Yeah, and I've always said, like, why is it so easy for us to put a Band-Aid on our knee if we scrape it, but it's so difficult for people to think of putting a, a Band-Aid on their brain. That's actually one of the things that I wanted to ask you on, maybe, like, kind of a, a personal level, is, like, why, in your opinion, why do you think that there is such a stigma around mm. mental illness in North American society and in various cultures 
around the world what mm. what is it what does it, what does it say to you like and i think you know going on with the pandemic i think that that maybe has changed for a few people but why do you think that this is around well <laughs> i want to say like patriarchy mm-hmm. but <laughs> that's just yeah. that's just a, my feminist point of view but um no it's it's really uh it's people have associated mental illness with lack of moral moral strength or lack of motivation mm. or or you know just get up yeah just <laughs> but, eat yeah <laughs> just do like, this yeah as much as they try like a schizophrenic person cannot stop hearing voices yeah like they will not it'll keep them pu- company <laughs> but they yeah. will not stop yeah. hearing voices yeah um so so i'm i'm I don't I don't know what to say it's I like yeah the patriarchy thing was kind of a joke but kind of not at the same time like mm-hmm. we were men were told that suffering makes them well not suffering but like talking about their emotion makes them l- seem like women and women are were weak so yeah. makes them look weak yeah and men should be strong men should barbecue and eat meat yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> and um, hunt and yeah so so it's really things <laughs> so i i we we, de- we developed a society that sees weakness our vulnerability i would say yeah. more than weakness actually not weakness i take that back scratch that <laughs> not weakness vulnerability yeah. as a sign of weakness when it's really not to me someone vulnerable asking for help is like the strongest Strength. thing I can think of. Oh, like, yeah. To me, someone that's like perfectly fine and goes like, hey, can I get some help with that? That's just them being strong. And like in their normal, there's no change, but someone feeling vulnerable, yeah. asking for help is like a gazillion times stronger according to according to me and i think according to you too. Yeah, and very, very. Yeah. It was one of the things I had to learn was to be able to ask for help and to actually yeah. be able to receive that so yeah it's just definitely. like if you're already feeling down at showing your vulnerability asking for help in a society that makes you feel like you're being weak because of it is mm-hmm. is the mm-hmm. greatest manifestation of strength yeah in my yeah. opinion and and i'm glad to see that i think it's getting better in some way mm-hmm. like uh, a lot more a lot more people are aware of 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 mel- mental illnesses what they are um there's still a lot of work to do of course yeah. i mean it's still it's it's sad sometimes i want to say it's it's not it's older generations but also but also how how it's passed down and and what people learn as well you yeah. know like if they've had bad experiences yeah you know if if they were if they felt like exposing their vulnerability and had a really bad experience, mm, yeah. experience doing so, what you learn is that, ha, huh, I shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, like the, I, sh- I should keep it to myself. I should, I, keep I should it just to myself. keep my mouth shut and if, blah, 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 if, blah. If, you know, like, I don't know, if, if, if you expose your, the fact that you're feeling down and then you get caught off work because yeah. you're not as productive anymore. Yeah. That just tells you that you shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> you shouldn't expose yeah. it. Or so. someone disregards, you know, or Definitely. you know, or laughs, or you know, some people could be very. They just could reject it completely, and then you feel like you know, it's not something that you is not in your best interest to, to do so. And in mm-hmm. my opinion, that 
can actually lead to just more toxicity and Ill- illness mm-hmm. even, mm-hmm. you know, so. Definitely. But one thing I want to say, that kind mm-hmm. of like to link the last two points together is that I, I, I feel like I praised pharmaceut- pharmaceutical help um, because it really did help me. Mm-hmm. And I want to say that I don't know where I would be right now if it wasn't for it. Mm-hmm. But it's the same thing than what I talked about earlier with, with finding your therapist, you know? Know what's good for you. And pharmaceutical help might not, like, you might feel so bad taking yeah. it that it doesn't help you, actually. So it's really just, I just don't want to, I just didn't want to go around telling everybody to take meds. Yeah, yeah. That was really yeah. not my point. It's just understanding that at some point some mental illnesses they need they need a kickstart they need a, a like a, a break mm-hmm. in that vicious cycle and and pharmaceutical help can help with that yeah. it's not the only solution yeah but it does help well it's like i mean if we take some if we take an extreme like physical case like like cancer for example you know yeah there it's trial and error with cancer treatment as well some people you know radiation can help some people it has to be chemo some people it has to be a combo of both and um and there is a lot of trial and error in that just like you would in medication for mental mm-hmm. illness but that also a lot of people say and believe that it's not just traditional me- medicine that is going to help there's going to be homeopathic approaches and just feeling good and just having you know people around you who make you who uplift you who make you feel good you know is going to help somebody who has a a terminal illness like like cancer and heart or some kind of heart disease the same thing with therapy i mean the way i saw it was when i was on i still have i'm still on some but i mean like for me it's 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 a way of taking the medication and therapy it kind of just goes hand in hand like one just kind of Mm -hmm. enhances each other Mm -hmm. and you know the goal you know it would be great to not to not be on any but i mean why would it be so bad to as well that's the thing what's the big deal i think that was the message i was trying to pass on was like maybe not um turn your back on it yeah like never do this on your own never ever ever always get the help of a medical professional (laughs) like always and like a shaman that you meet on the corner of the street is not a medical professional (laughs) (laughs) not (laughs) so you want to get the help of a medical professional if you do decide to explore this option but it's just don't dismiss it okay if you feel that you've done everything you could do on your own to get better and you still haven't don't dismiss getting some medical help. Okay. That's all I wanted. Like that's all I wanted to say. L- loud and clear, M. And I, I agree <laughs> with you. So I guess I, I'm gonna close off this interview with a, a multi-part question, and it's, mm-hmm. it kind of goes um, really speaking to what's happening today with uh, COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you think that the future holds for mental health and your field of study due to this pandemic? Like, do you think that you'll see a surge of you know, mental illness diagnoses and um, especially, I guess, in depression and anxiety. And what do you think that, like, will this change actually people's perception more of mental illness after all this is mm. 
said and done whenever wherever that will be we'll just let that go and let that you know we'll let, let this whole thing settle when it will but what do you right. think well first part of your question we've already seen it like the psychiatric um urgent emergency psychiatric mm -hmm. emergency care i don't like the urgence psychiatric uh, at the hospital has like was a lot busy yeah. it was very a lot busier it was very yeah. busy like statistically it was very busy March, April, May, it's getting better. Okay. Like, but a lot of uh, I met a lot of patients that were in uh, that were that were hospitalized because of adaptation, like an adaptation mm. disorder or anxiety or or yeah, like this. I'm. It's I'm. It's sad, but I wouldn't be surprised if if the suicide rates went up for yeah. these months. Yeah. Um, I think I heard that as well. I, I don't want to vouch for it because I didn't, I didn't, yeah, I didn't check. You know, so I, I don't say. actively listen to the news. I try not to really mm. pay attention to all mm -hmm. of this all the time because I don't think it's it's healthy. But I did seem to hear that there was a, a rise. It's just, it's so many changes. And, and humans, we don't like changes. We like what we know. We mm -hmm. like what we can predict. That's, mm -hmm. that's actually kind of brainy as well because based on previous experiences our brain can predict what's going to happen in certain circumstances and right now all of these are messed up yeah <laughs> like um we can't predict yeah anything we can't predict our next week we can't predict our, our yeah. next month um so can't even plan a trip if you want to go like it's no just everything so is, there's yeah so that can create a lot of anxiety yeah so there's stress is usually caused by i think it's four factors so wait let me so anything that is new so unknown okay. unpredictable okay anything that is uh, a, a threat to your ego mm -hmm. what are the other ones uh the wonderful ego yeah i forgot the two other ones your in-laws no <laughs> <laughs> but anyways maybe just to, say, just to say that one of the factors that creates stress is the is is the new aspect of it the yes the fact that you can't predict what's going to happen and that's mm -hmm. our life right now we can't predict what's going to happen yeah. so that definitely can create a lot of stress a lot of anxiety for many people and and just the fact that everything has changed everything is changing so so you one of the things that made that could have made you feel super good was your productivity at work i was like oh i'm such a good whatever you do yeah and then And then you're working from home. Yeah. You have your kids running around and dinner and you're facing the fact that your house is a mess and, and you're actually there because yeah. when you're at work, you don't see it. Yeah. But you're actually yeah. there so you kind of feel obliged to clean it. Or So you're not as productive. And what made you feel good, what made I'm such a good whatever you're doing, yeah. you don't have that feeling anymore. So it can really have an impact on your self-esteem. Yeah. It can really... So a lot, a lot of changes can... So we see... So people can actually, we see a lot of people that are not sleeping as well right now mm -hmm. because of uh, this, their homesteading, the COVID, the stress. Yeah. And well, I mean, like sleep, sleep, lack of sleep brings on like it's a tsunami. <laughs> lack yeah. of sleep can bring on so many other things. Yeah. Um, so I know I'm, really I just feel everything, like even my, my physical pain, like mm. if I don't sleep, it's just you just feel everything, emotional, everything. You feel it like 10 times more. Definitely. So yeah. what I hope, and I'm very like optimistic, okay. is that enough people will have gone through effective issues mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
not that I hope anyone goes through. Uh, yeah, that's that's kind of like a, a um, couteau à double tranchant. Oui, oui, a double-edged sword. Yeah. yeah. So in the sense that I I don't want people to feel distressed, yeah. but maybe the fact that so many people will have felt it at the same time will actually make the government do something about it because I, I, yeah yeah I hope like fingers I crossed so. um, because yeah. I mean like just just in Quebec I think in their mental health plan they deposit they 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 came up with it a few years ago like a mental health care plan like psychologist mm-hmm. was at page like 60 something wow and their job was to refer to the to the doctor wow and that's like that's the medical <laughs> because because they they want people to get meds right away and to start working right away so let's say insomnia yeah. you can you can get med meds yeah. to treat insomnia but the meds won't Treat the meds, why you're not sleeping. Yeah, they treat the symptom, yeah. but they don't treat why you're and not why sleeping. Why aren't you sleeping? What's and going on? Cognitive behavioral therapy treats how you're, why yeah. you're not sleeping, and how to how to eventually yeah. start sleeping again without any yeah. meds. So, but that takes time. Yeah, and the government <laughs> doesn't have time. They want people to work yeah. and pay taxes. Yeah. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm, you're, you're getting like the all activist part of me here, but it's just to say yes, that I agree, though. Yeah. I really, I really do hope that this this brings people to to it brings the government and brings people to see that mental health is like a big aspect of their life because mm-hmm. yeah like a majority of, of quebecers didn't mm-hmm. get covid mm-hmm. they didn't get sick but it, it affected their lives yeah. it affected their stress levels point. it yeah. affected so so that even though their physical health wasn't tra- threatened mm-hmm. something happened yeah and what happened was their mental health yeah was played with you know yeah. pickled yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of like poking the bear there you know so i i i hope they see that oh there's something else here yeah. there isn't just a physical this isn't just a physical yeah. threat yeah it's also a mental one and and yeah like you know as i you mentioned earlier that uh I was working on a project with for for um, analyzing dreams, and and I do hope that I do hope someone's doing it right now. Like I hope mm-hmm. someone is 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 uh, is is collecting data on this because COVID, like COVID, will go in the history books. COVID oh, yeah. will be at the base of many intervention models. Many, mm-hmm. um, yeah, definitely like. It's, it's definitely going to change. It's the, definitely going to change field. things. I just hope it changes in a positive way. Yeah, I hope so too. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm of the same mind as you that I am hopeful. I think, I mean, for sure, there's going to be a bunch of people that are kind of just going to brush this off as like mm-hmm. a really bad nightmare mm-hmm. because you know, and it's not judging anybody or anything. People don't want to, you know, as human beings, I feel like we don't want to face those things. And I think one of the hardest things to do is face yourself. And I think that COVID basically on another realm not of oh am i gonna get sick but oh all the fears that you've had pent up all your life that you've been distracted by because you Mm -hmm. put it in that box that you don't want to think about or oh i'm just gonna get busy with work and blah 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 and not think about it well everything is kind of coming up in our face and maybe this is the time well actually i'm not going to say maybe i believe this is the time way overdue of of 
introspection people need to have more introspection and get in touch with you know what really matters and who we are and there was something that you were saying before when you were saying how um, people have been disrupted uh, when it comes to their work like oh I I'm very good at doing this like I'm a good uh, I mean I'm just gonna say accountant okay and then we kind of get all like fumbled because oh god like I'm not doing th that job anymore or anything well does that really define what is that importance to you like why is it so important for us to define ourselves by our profession by all these external mm -hmm. items and when the real us is kind of I feel like being shunned you know kind of shunned over with all of these other distractions so I think that COVID is going to kind of make people realize what is more important than what work needs to be done you know i'm not saying it in a way that it's easy we live in a society that i that like you're saying doesn't allow us it doesn't allow us to stop and take care of ourselves because you're supposed to be you know the Productive. amazing parents the amazing yeah. worker the amazing employer you the you know mm -hmm. have your house clean and have the money and like you're expected to do all these things and be a good person it's 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 not very forgiving i i think you know so yeah definitely it it's uh it's it's uh, gonna take some time still, but I do believe that it is something that's going to kind of, well, it already has rocked the boat and shaken things oh, up, definitely, you know. Definitely. So, and right now I understand why, but they're focusing on the mental health of our health professionals, which is, I mean, they're yeah. at the front, <laughs> they're the frontliners. But yeah. once that's taken, well, taken care of, I mean, once that's established, like their plan is established, I really do hope they're gonna because right now, like, there's a lot of research happening, a lot of there's like questionnaires are pretty easy to do like mm -hmm. it's pretty easy research so there's a lot of research happening about stress level and stress levels in the population but we need we need some we need people to act on it we need yeah. people to act on these data like okay your society yeah. is crazy stressed yeah. and you cannot have like i think i want to say depression is one of the it costs so much to 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 our society to our governments mm -hmm. in terms of in terms of of, uh, of sick days in terms of, mm -hmm. of 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 medical leaves mm -hmm. and all of that it's just i mean even like if you want to talk about it like in, in terms of economics yeah it costs a lot for people to have poor mental health, health. yeah so yeah. we do need to my dad sent this to me he said he sent me a quote it said if you don't make time for your wellness you're going to have to make time for an illness. Wow. What? Wow. I'm going to say it again. I got goosebumps. I'm going to say it again. Can you say that again? If you don't make time for your wellness, you're going to have to make time for an for illness. An illness. And I think that is, wow. Like, I'm goosebumps. I yeah. think that, that's it. Interview's <laughs> done. We're going we're gonna to leave off on this, like, really high note. <laughs> like, if we really say anything else after yeah, this. Yeah, I know. I think I it know. sums I, everything up. So, um, well, Emma, I just want to thank you again for coming for this interview. And I just want to say on a personal note, like you're also a friend and I've told you this before, but I really want everyone to know I'm so proud of everything that you've done. And I really believe that this field really deserves somebody like you and it, not just in terms of dedication or technical knowledge, but just the empathy that you bring and that di different like point of view, I think is very important. So I thank you very much for your contribution thank you. and your time. And I hope that everybody has enjoyed this podcast. I know I really enjoyed this, this interview. 
Um, and hopefully you'll, you'll be back again for some future episodes if, uh, if need be. Whenever you invite me, yeah. All right, sounds good. <laughs> well, thanks everyone for listening and uh, please send your comments or any feedback that you have. Feel free uh, for me and Emma and uh, be safe and bye for now. Bye-bye.